Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat. I am Josh McCarty. With me tonight, as always, is Luca. And Luca, how are you doing on this victory Monday morning? Oh, fantastic. I mean, it's 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 hard to not enjoy yourself after being able to experience 60 minutes of essential domination on a football field, especially when it almost felt like a game where individuals were talking themselves into, well, this could be in a reason of issues or this could cause the Bills problems. And uh, we find ourselves sitting here recording on Sunday night. Now, everyone listening, at least Monday morning, if you are, appreciate you. And it's like a victory Monday morning. This one is one that is a beautiful sip of coffee to go with it. It's uh, love it. Love it. It was a fantastic Sunday outside of sports betting, although we Mm. can talk about that a little bit more later. We'll get to it. (laughs) But overall, a great Sunday and a perfect Monday we shall have. So we always start our post-game shows off with this, and I will not make that any different. But before we get rolling tonight, we have to say congratulations to our third man, Stokes. I was at his wedding over the weekend. He and his lovely wife got married. Congratulations to Stokes. Probably not going to be on Built in Buffalo for the next week or so as they are celebrating with Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck at one of the Disney parks. So all the best to Stokes and his bride. It was a beautiful, beautiful wedding. And I was happy to be there. But Luca, um, the Bills looked very happy to be in Washington today <laughs> as they they clinched a 37 to three victory. We can talk about that three a little bit later because that was not the proudest moment in Ron Rivera's career. <laughs> kind of a strange game, though, right? Because it was 16 to nothing going into the fourth quarter. And it's not like it ever really felt like it was in danger, but it was still they had a hard time pulling away from that two score deficit. And then when they did, it was like, oh, wow, now it's an avalanche. But uh, as I always do, I'm going to kick it over to you. How were you feeling when that game went final? Uh, very good. E- euphoric in a way, but I don't mean that as in like, oh, it felt incredible or blah, blah, blah. It just felt good that in a week, like I mentioned in that opening statement, where if you could talk your way into where things could have gone wrong, where issues may have arose for the Bills, um, the highlights honestly were how well the Bills offensive line held up and things like that, that we will get into. So when the kneel downs were happening, it was so satisfied and euphoric and just like a nice comfortable win. Josh Allen adds another win to that crazy stat of his, where out of the now 54 wins he has in his career or whatever that number is 48, I believe now are by, by at least seven plus uh, points. It's a crazy stat out there that it's like when Josh Allen wins, of course he wins big, add one to the plate. Um, you mentioned kind of it was 16 nothing going into fourth. That was the biggest blowout of a 16 nothing game at that point in time. I think mm-hmm. I've ever experienced in my life. Yeah, once once we hit double digits, I was fairly confident there was no stopping us offensively, and there was definitely no stopping how dominant our defense was being against Sam Howell, who, look, in all respect to Sam Howell, he had an incredible opening two weeks. This was a reality check for him and the team he is quarterbacking for. It, it's These are the growing pains you must go through in the National Football League. I still, this game did nothing to me that deterred me in liking Sam Howell as a player in the future, I will say, as an NFL fan. It's just, it's a tough reality check. You played against a really good team, and they showed you why they are looked at as the class of the AFC or among the class of the AFC, and that's what it was. But yeah, when the kneel downs were happening, just euphoric, uh, excitement, and just ready for the four o'clock games at that point, because it was already over in my mind early fourth quarter, Josh. 
Yeah, and I'm with you. I'm not ready to give up on Sam Howell yet. I, I like the mobility. I like the live arm. I, I think there's some attributes that remind me a little bit of Tony Romo when he was younger. Um, he does hold on to the ball a little bit too long, as evident by the Bills sacking him nine times in this game. You mentioned the Bills offensive line holding up well. The Bills, Josh Allen was sacked zero times, which you tell me that going into the game, I would have told you the Bills were going to put up 30-plus points because we said going into this matchup, the scariest thing about this commander's team is their front four. But man, oh man, if you can give Josh Allen time, they are going to pick apart this very young and experienced secondary. Uh, but Luca, I thought it was pretty telling early on the way the Bills attacked several situations, even going back to that first drive. Allen hits Knox, beautiful throw in the hands. He drops it. It was a tough catch to make. I don't think Knox expected the ball to get to him. And then on third down, um, just for just for um, I'm going to put this out there so everybody knows. I watched this game on my phone on the way back from Stokes wedding today. I've not had a chance to rewatch it. I have the live watch in my brain. Have not able to even be able to go back and watch the highlights again. So if I mess up a player, you're going to have to forgive me. Shout out to YouTube though. The app was almost flawless through an entire three hour drive. And uh, I, I feel like I saw everything, but a couple plays here and there. So I'm ready to roll. I want to say on the third down that led to the field goal where Josh Allen overthrows, I think it was Knox again. And I felt like, Luke, at that point, that's a play that I would have expected Josh Allen to try to squeeze in there, um, especially at 0-0 at that point. And when he overthrew Knox, it, it just said something to me like, okay, they know what they're going against this week. They know that they don't need 30 points to win this game. Let's just make sure that points come out of every possession. And then it was later in the game when Andrew Catalan, the announcer, was talking about how Josh Allen is very self-aware these days. And he knows if you're going against Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes, you may have to take certain chances on certain plays because you know you're going to have to help out your defense. You have to know who your opponent is. And that was telling to me on a week when they're playing against Sam Howell. Josh Allen's never going to come out and trash the opposing quarterback. But I think the theme of the team today, the way they handled certain situations, the way there was a third down and long where they did a little screen pass to Diggs that almost had no shot of getting the first down just to shorten the field goal. It felt to me, Luca, like the Bills were saying, we are not going to beat ourselves today, and no offense, Washington, you're not going to beat us either. Yeah, this it, it was a do-your-job kind of mm -hmm. game. It was one of those games where McDermott and the coaching staff clearly was preaching do-your-job. Uh, shout out my friend Joel real quick here. He was complaining about that Allen says this, but the mindset was probably there where Allen says every good drive ends in a kick, whether it's an extra point, a field goal, or a punt. And obviously, if you don't want to be ending in punts, but the message that's being said there is it you don't want it to end in an interception. There was or fumble or what turnover of some variety. And they did a good job for the most part. The one interception that happened was one of those wonderful Josh Allen punts where he throws it 52 yards as it's carrying the air should give him a credit for inside the 20 kind of punt for that right. situation. Cause it was at the 19 credit. Um, I almost want to go through this fun fact, Josh, real quick, not to sidetrack, but I do want to go through this year and after evaluate all the interceptions, Josh Allen throws and credit any single one that is at least carried 45 yards and is inside the 20 to give him credit for those. I'm going to, I'm going to stat that, but oh, back to it. Um, they were very self-aware. The overthrow of Knox was one where it was like either Knox makes an out of this world play, which was not going to happen, or it's a throwaway 
understand what you're doing here. You need to make sure you just walk away with something rather than nothing, do your job, move on and move forward. And you're just going to create pressure by any points you can get on the board to then further pressure Sam Howell and the offense for Washington, which they were very much under pressure the entire game. Leonard Floyd had a phenomenal one. The entire defensive line had a great game. I mean, AJ Epinesa somehow ends up with a pick six. It was a fun time. But yeah, mm-hmm. this was a game absolutely that I described as a do your job, be self-aware. I think that's a great one that you kind of brought in here. They were very self-aware and just understood the task at hand and how to get out of there with a win so that they could move forward into week four. I think this team's grown up a little bit. And, um, because I think what we've seen from these bills since really 2020, when, when they came onto the scene and and kind of went into that national powerhouse conversation, as far as the league goes, is they did thrive on style points in the regular season. They were that team that if they were up by 20 in the fourth quarter, they were still throwing deep, trying to pad stats. And we have not seen that this year. Um, you know, the first game of the season, was I, I still think has a chance to be the ultimate low moment for this season. I think there's a chance they played their worst game the first season, and I, I think there's a chance Josh Allen played his worst game the first season. But these last two wins against teams that we said going in, player for player, they should outclass. They outclassed, but not just because their offense was humming. They outclassed because the offense read the room and saw the fact that the defense was dominating their matchup and they played complementary football. They ran the ball effectively last week and this week. This week, James Cook had 98 yards rushing. Allen added in 46. Latavius Murray added a touchdown. Josh Allen was an efficient 20 for 32, only 218 yards. But that's all you need on a day like that. And Luca, I am impressed with this team right now because you can go out there and throw for 400 yards against the Commanders and you can put a, you can get another AFC player of the week award. He won it last week, by the way. I didn't necessarily think he would, but I guess when you look around the rest of the league, there wasn't a whole lot of contenders for it. Um, but that doesn't seem to matter to this team right now. It feels like in a lot of ways they are growing up and they realize that all wins are the same. It's just a win or a loss in the standings. And this team learning how to win together, reading the opponent, figuring out like, okay, this team can't really punch with us offensively, so let's not do them any favors on defense. That's what I want to see from them. To me, it's not about the fact that they went out and beat the Commanders because they are a better team than the, than the Commanders. I honestly don't even really care if they beat the Commanders by 34 points in Washington. That's cool, but uh, I think there's larger hurdles for this team to clear. But the fact that they are self-aware enough to understand the situations and this offense, which has been under the national spotlight of, oh my God, Josh Allen and Diggs, Are they the two best offensive players in the sport at their respective position? That has been the conversation at times in recent years have been okay. Taking a backseat for the greater good. These last two weeks Uh, that that's refreshing for a team that I I think maybe needed to tone it down a little bit at times. You know, what's funny. I I love this point that you're bringing up and continuing with, I think, I think it's a very, very good point to start this episode with Um, last year, the message we kept hearing out of the locker room and from Josh Allen and from McDermott, it was one to know every week and week to week. And the, the message every week was about getting through the week, moving forward one and oh, and I think they're actually doing a better job of it now this year than they were last year with a different message or whatever it is. Maybe it's the same message and they finally understand what that truly means and how they should be able to go about their business with that message. But it's, it's fascinating that That was the message last year, and it really felt uneasy a lot of the time. And now this year, after a horrible week one game that they had, 
they really kind of now are understanding what they need to do. You don't need to be able to put the, you know, your foot on the throat of an enemy by doing it over 50 yard passes. You can do it by just on the ground game with your complimentary players and then just get the job done and let the game come to you. Let you figure out what's going on drive by drive. And you don't have to just have Josh Allen being Superman while you're up 16, nothing and everything feels fine because that's the time when you can let a team back in by doing stupid things. And you're just increasing risk of doing stupid things by having Josh Allen be Superman at those moments in times, just be selective with when you need him to be that occasionally he needs to put that Cape on and do his job but this is not the time right now. And today was a perfect example of them just or him and the team overall, just understanding that and getting through it, being very mature as you brought up and just getting the job done once more. Like it's just perfect, perfect example of maybe a team understanding what they actually need to do week in and week out so that they can always get ready for an opponent, always understand the job at hand and then get through it at that point in time, be in the moment, and then let next week's game come when preparation starts all over again on Monday. I think we all knew this offense would be very good, but what we, a lot of us worried about, I will raise my hand and say, I worried about what's this defense. And I think maybe part of that for some folks was just wondering how the transition from Leslie Frazier to Sean McDermott would go. Um, you look at some key players on this defense, Micah Hyde, Von Miller, two very important players that at different levels of the injury are coming off of significant injuries. Jordan Poyer, had a lot of injuries last season. Tredavious White was not the best version of himself last season. What would happen with cornerback two? Could Kyrie Elam take a step? Could Christian Benford or Dane Jackson step up? Um, what would they get out of guys like Leonard Floyd? What would Ed Oliver be like after he got paid? How would they fill the void after Tremaine Edmonds? Luke, it's a small sample size. We are three games in. The Bills are averaging against, on defense, 253 yards per game in the NFL in 2023. That is the second best in the sport they lead the nfl in sacks right now 12 sacks there was nine of them today that is skewed greatly by a nine sack game so i'm not going to go over the moon about that but opponent quarterback rating the bills lead the league 54 qbr and i understand that could be skewed by the fact they had four turnovers today against sam Howell. but what cannot be skewed luca three games two defensive touchdowns given up granted zach wilson jimmy garoppolo sam Howell. This is not Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Aaron Rodgers. But, Luca, how good is this defense, and how good can this defense be? I mean, the sky's the limit for this defense, although I say that with a little bit of uh, tameness, uh, a little bit of kind of uh, it's not a sky's the limit like the Dolphins offense sky's the limit, we'll just say. Right. Um, I, I don't think I expect that level of ceiling. But overall, they all are very high end individuals on this defense, or most of them are. And, you know, you're just from all levels of the game, you have high end talent there that they can absolutely get the job done at an extremely high level as a collective unit. And this this game here was just another example of that. Um, I, I don't think that the Washington offensive line was anything of note, wasn't anything special, but in the same regard, you had Leonard Floyd just absolutely dominate Shaq Leonard or Shaq Leonard. Jeez. Shaq Lawson was also dominating himself. Like the, all these players were stepping up in big opportunities and just taking advantage of it. Ed Oliver showed up once again. Look, he's fine. Maybe he's actually trying to actually live up to this contract and he needed, he's the reverse Josh. 
he needed to get paid to then get hungry rather mm-hmm. than getting paid and being fat off of it. I would love if that's the case. We would Me all too. love if that's the yeah. case, obviously. But he's so far looking very, very good and a lot better than what we've seen in seasons past at this point in time that I am happy with that. I think everyone's doing great. The funny part to me is the one guy, even though he's been doing a very good job, the one guy that hasn't popped yet that I'm a little down on is Greg Russo. Like, and I'm not saying that to knock him and say he's been bad. It's just that I expected him to be the one stepping up here with everyone else, with your Leonard Floyds. And he's still just doing his job and there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe that elevation will come and that pop comes as soon as Vaughn is back. Leonard Floyd, though, he might be one of the signings of the season. His impact cannot be understated. It's been incredible for this defense. Micah Hyde looks great back there now. Um, Everything looks good. And then even... I don't know if it was on our live show or last week's podcast where I talked about how Benford's clearly, I believe in my mind, our number one corner and Trey white definitely looks like he's a step behind now and everything like that. Trey white again to me today though, looks like as soon as the opportunity was there and he didn't have to worry about a lot behind him and a lot of field to play with. That's when that interception happens. It was, it wasn't the best thrown ball of course, but as soon as, he had the offense tight to the end zone where he knew he could kind of play a little bit more aggressively play kind of up front. All of a sudden the old tray came out and mm-hmm. the, the ability to read the play and jump on it was perfectly done. And that was promising to me. And that's when I get my confidence back a little bit more with this defense, because no, I'm not expecting Trey white to be able to keep up with Tyreek next week, but overall, like I think they just all understand the system and what they're trying to do as a collective unit. And they do it at such a high end level that they can absolutely be that bend, but don't break defense that they've been at the highest of levels possible. It's the sky's the limit. And it's going to be incredible later on in the season when Vaughn comes back, Josh, like that's all I think about. I'm like, man, if Vaughn comes back and he is 80% of what we saw last year, 85% of what we saw last year, it's going to be incredible to then have him Leonard Floyd rotating in fresh mm-hmm. legs when you need him, and Gregory Rousseau doing his job on the edge and stuff like that. And then your AJ Epinesa's just less impact needed out of them and they, you know, they can still step up like today where you take, you, you get a pick six, man. Howell just throws it right in your basket. It happens. The pressure created that opportunity, of course, and everything is just, done and dusted it, it the defense deserves all the accolades after today's performance josh in my mind i think the offense did well the defense mm-hmm. was the shining star of course yeah the offense kind of stayed out of the way like we're not gonna yeah. we're not gonna risk what you have going on here which is what we want to see josh allen's one interception you mentioned was an interception you can live with it was third and 20 he had gabe davis on a smaller quarter cornerback in fuller and one-on-one, you just take a shot to your bigger receiver. You think, worst-case scenario, it gets knocked down because I have the size advantage. Great play by Fuller. Turns out to be a punt. But as far as defense goes, it's 2023. I think gone are the days where a defense can just carry a team to a championship like the Ravens did in 20 or in 2000, or even more recently, the Broncos did with Peyton Manning when he was a shell of himself with Von Miller and Demarcus Ware. Because we even saw last year a dominant Eagles defense got mashed up with Patrick Mahomes. And really couldn't make any stops when you needed to. But championship defense in 2023 is not about holding elite offenses under 20 points. It's about making a play in crunch time. And I think that's what the Bills have a chance to be this year. And yeah, you go out, you can push around the commanders. You can push around the Raiders. That's great. I want to see that. I want to talk about Terrell Bernard, though, Luca, because he had a very good game statistically. He's had a couple very good games statistically. 
Today, he had two sacks, an interception, and a fumble recovery. He is filling up the stat sheet. And I saw a lot of conversations on Twitter about like, oh my God, they upgraded Tremaine Edmonds. And I'm I'm not ready to go that far. I'm a big Tremaine Edmonds fan. I always have been. And I I still think they're, you know, for for the splash plays he's making, I think he's been very sound in coverage. I I still want to see more, but I am over the moon as far as what my expectations were for Terrell Bernard and where he's at. He is not part of the problem. He is doing his job. And as a huge Tremaine Edmonds fan, I will tell you that interception he made today on Sam Howell at the very beginning of the game, we have seen that play, that same exact play, go through Tremaine Edmonds' hands time and time again. And I would sit here and say, well, he's a defensive player. He's so long. He knocked it down. Terrell Bernard made the play. And that's a play, two interceptions in a row. Last week, a diving interception after a tip pass. Another play we've seen Tremaine Edmonds come this close to making, but just not make. Terrell Bernard, while still learning how to be a Mike linebacker in the NFL, Luca, is making splash plays, game-changing plays. I don't know. I don't think the Raiders had a prayer last week, the way that game turned out, but the Bills had just gone three and out after the Raiders went right down the field on them, and they had a beautiful screen set up if it wasn't for that interception by Bernard. Who knows what happens if that doesn't get made? Game-changing plays. Where are you at right now with Terrell Bernard, and what do you think his ceiling is? Um, going into the game, I thought he's been doing a very good serviceable job after mm-hmm. today's game. You have to, of course, give him all the props. you got to make the plays and make of the most out of the opportunities you have in front of you. And especially when you have a day where the other two linebackers, I know Brian Urlacher was one. I can't remember who the other one was listed on that, but he had a day that only these two other legendary linebackers of the game had had where you have your two sacks interception and force or and fumble recovery, I should say. Um, So props to him. He, he looks comfortable. I, I think that's the thing that I take away right now. Last year, what we saw out of him in the one time we really saw a massive game out of him in the Jets game, he was far from comfortable. We saw him in last year's preseason, far from comfortable. This year, unfortunately, we didn't get to see him in the preseason, but as soon as he stepped in, it seems like even from weeks one to three, he looks a lot more comfortable. He looks like he's playing within his skin and understanding his abilities and just making the most out of it. And the interception to me is kind of what highlights the um, the high end of what you would expect out of a Terrell Bernard. And he is an athletic linebacker. He can make those kinds of plays in coverage. He can be an impactful player if it's third and long and cover a good amount of space, even with the limited frame, quote unquote, that he has. And he made a phenomenal play on that. He can be very, very good on the rush if you want him in blitzing situations. He's athletic for that kind of usage as well. And today it showed again with his two sacks. He made absolutely every impactful play you needed him to be when he was in the perfect situation to make that play happen. And you have to tip the cap. You have to give him regards. And I'm just so happy that we finally see this player that's no longer looking like the game's too fast for him, Josh. He looks very, very good and comfortable in his own skin, understanding his job next to a Matt Milano, who is still in my eyes right now, the best linebacker in the league at this point in time, playing out of his skin. Even at times today, Matt Milano kind of had a quiet day, but that's okay. We don't need him to be, you know, Superman of the defense every week, but he has him right next to him. You have two all pro safeties behind you. 
You just need to be comfortable and understand what your job is. And he's doing that in spades. He looks phenomenal right now. And I'm very, very happy. I'm happy to eat any words of concern that I had going into this year at this point in time, but let's just see that continue. Let's see him to grow on this and maybe he can even develop further into, instead of being just a comfortable, you know, kind of like role player into being, you know, kind of that impact game changing player, hopefully with Matt Milano next to him, where then you can truthfully finally say in seriousness that you don't miss Tremaine Edmonds anymore. And he can absolutely do that if he continues to trend in the way that he is right now. It's going to be an interesting week for a lot of players on defense. Terrell Bernard, a lot of these guys we think are playing well at Oliver. They're all stepping up in weight class this coming week against Miami. And, you know, Bernard had two sacks today, the interception we talked about. Taron Johnson was very strong in run support, had the forced fumble. Tredavious White had a beautiful pick in the end zone where he jumped in front of the receiver and made a play on it. Ed Oliver, one and a half sacks today. You mentioned Leonard Floyd with the two sacks. Greg Rousseau got Sam Howell to the ground once. Daquan Jones, one and a half sacks. AJ Epinesa, a sack, an interception, and a touchdown scored. We'll see what happens next week when the Dolphins come to town, a team that is much more timing-based, speed-based. I'm excited to get into that game. But I do want to flip around and talk about the offense, Luca, because I thought James Cook looked strong today, particularly late, 15 for 98. He added uh, two receptions for 14 yards. Diggs was Diggs, eight receptions on 12 targets, 111 yards. Felt like when he caught the ball, he, he was just open every time. And I will say outside of Diggs, it felt a little bit 2022-ish to me where everybody else was just kind of fitting in where they fit in. If it wasn't going to digs in the passing game, it felt kind of like a roll of the dice. Gabe Davis, only 35 yards, did have the touchdown. After that, it was Trent Sherfield for 18, Deontay Hardy for 15. James Cook had a couple. Uh, Dawson Knox had a drop in the end zone. But where I want to start here, Luca, is maybe a little bit of a negative. Dalton Kincaid. I think a lot of people thought that uh, between Dawson Knox not practicing until Friday um, the fact that Kincaid's snap counts have continued to rise. The fact that this Washington defense could be a little susceptible over the middle. Uh, they thought maybe this was the spot for a Kincaid breakout, but two targets, two receptions, three yards, still under 100 yards on the season. I think the way his snap counts are going, I'm still encouraged, although I have a feeling they're going to take a dip today when we see the official numbers from PFF. Are you at all discouraged with the Dalton Kincaid usage so far? No, I think there was a change in game plan this week, and it might not have been the one that some thought of. And I think you're included in that conversation, Josh. I think that's why you want to bring this up. Mm -hmm. But overall, I think there was kind of a change of mindset in this game, offensive philosophy, what they wanted to do. And the reason that I kind of point to that, too, was we we talked about um, in a previous episode, whether it was our live show or our podcast, where... Um, Trent Sherfield had been invisible when it comes to the offensive game plan. And then there was a point in this game where it was clear that they wanted to use him in certain way and get him involved. Deontay Hardy got back involved with a bunch of different things in his own right. Um, he had two carries. They didn't work out. I hated, honestly, hated the design runs for him, but he had two carries, but then he also had three targets as well. There was a, a clear, change in philosophy from this game compared to what we saw, I believe in weeks one and two. And I just think what that to me tells or says is that, um, how do I, how do I put this? Um, Dorsey and the offense 
are willing to week to week potentially change on how they want to attack things and where they want to go about it. And I am okay with that mindset to an extent. I don't want it to be at the expense of a Dalton Kincaid, but at the same time, it's not like everyone can get the ball and everyone can do everything. And then on top of that as well, Josh, you have to factor in a thing like Stefan Diggs is back near where he went to college and everything like that. And he's also shelled out every time he's played in Washington. I have a inkling that there was probably a message being said a lot that was like, Hey, make sure you give me my ample amount of balls and targets, 12 targets for eight catches and 111 yards. And it was, there was a moment where, as you pointed out, it was basically digs and everyone else. I'm okay with it in this regard when it's like, you're clearly in a good rhythm. I don't think that was the, the, what was going on early. That there's a reason that uh, Gabe Davis was your first touchdown. And then in the red zone, Knox was getting his usual targets, stuff like that. But once the game started feeling more and more in hand, Josh, I think that's when the, we'll call it Stefan Diggs spam seemed to escalate a little bit more. And I think there were probably reasons for that. And I'm absolutely okay with that. If a guy wants something like that, if it's a comfortable game and you're not doing anything that kind of put, takes you out of your own skin of comfortability with the offense to do something like that, just make it happen. Make your guys happy. It's an opportunity to make a guy like Stefan Diggs happy. I'm all for it. And I'm not overly worried about that coming at the expense of Dalton Kincaid or anything else like that because everything felt comfortable. I bet you if the game ever got to a point where maybe it got woozy, Josh, or anything happened where all of a sudden the Trent Sherfield stuff wasn't really working out well, they might have then reversed course. And maybe you could have seen Kincaid getting more utilized or someone else getting more utilized in this offense. But it just seemed like everything that they had planned going into this game was clicking. Things were working out. Okay. They made Diggs happy being close to where he went to college, of course, at university of Maryland. And I can't remember where he's from actually, Josh, this came up in my living room. I should have done my research. He's maybe from the area as well, but overall it's a homecoming from him. We'll just call it. He got his usage and I'm not, really concerned overall about the Kincaid and how, how things are going at this point in time. We will see how that looks. I will pay attention to that tenfold next week against Miami. If all of a sudden Kincaid's usage goes down, Josh, in a very, very important, clear as can be important game, like the one at home against Miami, that's maybe when I start going, okay, what are we really doing here with this playmaker? And why would he not be more involved in a game like that against Miami, where I do believe maybe that could be an opportunity for him as well, even against a great defense such as them. Yeah. And I will tell you, like, I don't, I don't need other people to be involved. I, I think, you know, when you look at the, when the Rams are humming, when Cooper cups healthy, they just force feet. We're not going to make it easy on you. If you can't stop him, we're not going to stop throwing to him. The Vikings much the same way with Justin Jefferson. Look across the division. Tyreek Hill is an absolute target funnel right now, and they're not going to stop throwing to him. The chiefs do the same thing with Travis Kelsey. I think, I think Stefan Diggs is a very, very hard guy to stop. I know a bold statement by me, so I don't mind games where, where it goes through him, but I just, I guess it was a little alarming when I, when I looked at the box score at the end and I was like, oh, wow, Kincaid only had a couple of catches. And I know one of them was the very first play of the game. Let's talk about a sequence that actually my YouTube TV went out on Lucas. So I'll, I'll get some help from you on this one. And this might've been the turning point of the game. So the bills are up 10, nothing. And Sam Howe scrambles for an 18 yard run down to the Bills six yard line on second and goal. He passes to Turner for five yards down to the Buffalo one third and goal. 
my YouTube app goes out. Brian Robinson tackled for a one-yard loss by Ed Oliver and Matt Milano. Fourth and goal, Sam Howell, pass incomplete. So for somebody like me who could not get YouTube to work, that was the one sequence I missed. Just kind of walk me through those plays. Obviously, I see Ed Oliver was coming up on Twitter. Uh, The box score here has Ed Oliver and Milano. What went wrong for the commanders in that situation? And then my my second part of that question to you is, even at 10-0, at that point, did you feel like the game was almost over? Um, I'll answer the last question first. And the answer is yes. <laughs> that was, that was the moment where I was like, okay, that, that the game kind of teetered on that moment because that really felt like the, the commanders found a flash in the pan. They found this drive that was working very, very well for them for the most part. And they get to this point where it, it was beautiful. It reminded me of last year, um, when we were, you know, backs against the wall against the Ravens. Uh, early in the season, Josh, that defensive sequence, although I think that defense sequence was kind of one in the opposite way, obviously ended by the Jordan Poyer interception, but there was um, in this game, the sequence was basically dominated by pressure and that it it was perfect. That last play, the the fourth and goal um, was encapsulated or, or did encapsulate basically what this entire game was. And it was just, the Washington offense could not handle anything that the bills were throwing them in the form of pressure. It just was not possible. And it, unfortunately for Sam Howell put him on a situation where he needed to read what was going on in milliseconds and then try to extend time on top of it. And then at that point in time, it was already too late. And he essentially just threw a dirt ball. Like that's all it was. It it was nothing. There was no chance on anything happening with that. It was just an unfortunate thing for Sam Howell in the Washington offense that basically off the snap pressure was starting to get through and he just needed to make something happen in a crucial moment of the game. As soon as that ball hit the ground, Josh, and it was dirted, that was the moment to me where I I was like, okay, the Bills aren't going to be in the best of situations right now, but I'm comfortable with how they're moving the ball. I'm comfortable with how things are going right now. And the defense just showed that in a moment where finally things weren't going well for them and they had their back against the wall, they were able to kind of rise to the occasion, make it happen, get the ball back to their offense without points scored against and move on with their day. And that truly was kind of the time where, yes, I I was already pretty comfortable. I just needed to see the bills move the ball from that point on Josh to really be comfortable. They did so. And it was like, okay, I'm feeling very, very good about the situation the Bills find themselves in. And you, it's not over till it's over. Shout out, Goff. But overall, it, it felt very over at that point when it came to Washington being outclassed by the Bills. Yeah, and at that point, you had seen Sam Howell now turn it over, and you'd seen their offense stall out. And it felt like, to your point, like you just took their best shot, and their best shot wound up with zero points. And it didn't ever feel like an offense that was going to be able to sustain multiple drives. So for them to get down to the two yard line and still not be able to cash it in a bit surprised Ron Rivera elected to go for it there on fourth and two. I don't hate it. I would have gone for it too, but it's almost comical that he gets called riverboat Ron because one year with Cam Newton, he was a little bit more aggressive than the average coach when historically throughout his career, he's one of the most conservative coaches out there. Last question for you, Luca, because this game was easy. The Bills are two and one. They had to get it done, though. How soon is too soon for me to be thinking about Miami? Because my brain's already there. And it, we're recording a post-game show 
on the commanders. And I'm certainly not going to skip ahead to the next chapter, but just big picture conversation. How soon is too soon to start looking ahead? Because this is a mega matchup coming up. Uh, it was not too soon at all. And if anyone had multiple screens in order to enjoy multiple games mm-hmm. and had that Miami Denver game on, I, I was victim of it. I I'm pretty sure everyone in my living room was victim of it. You quite literally were thinking two things. One, holy crap. Denver's awful. Like mm-hmm. they are quite literally possibly the worst team in the league. And it's crazy that they have the talent that they do on that roster to be in that position. But then two, what are we going to do to slow this team down? <laughs> like it is quite, it is a problem. I mean, you thought there were, and I thought there were a lot of things going on that maybe they could have been slowed down a little bit here that Jalen Waddle wasn't in. Uh, they were without their normal, reliable backup uh, running back in this situation. So it was going to be leaned on most and then you had a rookie kind. And then the backup of the backup was also out. So you're leaning on a rookie in uh Devonte a chain i think i call him a chain i, I yeah. don't know if that's even Devon a chain yeah 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 there you go um i love that guy by the way track star mm-hmm. mega speed turns out yeah he is a stud but overall you had question marks where you're like are they going to be able to do these things turns out oh yeah tyree kill is a boss uh two has got the timing down to a teat and um yeah this is it's a well 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 oiled machine down there in miami Luckily for us, it is in Orchard Park next week, but um, I'm pretty sure at that point in time, it was 35 to six. I want to say the Bills game was probably late in the second quarter. So that was the moment to start thinking about Miami, Josh, and to go, okay, look, we're not going to give up 70. We we talked about that off air before we even started recording this. We're not going to give up 70. But uh, how many points does our offense really need to score here when it comes to next week? Because this is pretty remarkable what we're seeing down in in South Beach in Miami. Yeah, and I cannot wait for this upcoming week to talk about this game. And Luca, I'm going to be the ultimate wet blanket on this game. And I'll tell you why. I I think that there's going to be a lot of conversation about, okay, we're going to find out who runs the AFC East this week. Uh, The Dolphins are as hot as hot gets. They're 3-0. They've won two road games and, and then they just they won by 50 points at home today, scoring 70 points in a win over the Denver Broncos and Sean Payton, a former Super Bowl winning head coach. And here's the Bills, the team that we all kind of predicted might be we all I'm talking like from the standpoint of the national media predicted might be falling off the mountain. Uh, maybe their time has come and gone. But no, no, no. Look, these last two weeks, they are punching back, uh, albeit against lesser opponents. But now we get to see this big matchup. I'm here to tell you all. Um, this game doesn't matter that much. It's going to feel like it matters a lot. And in the standings, it matters as much as a regular season game can matter because it's an AFC game. It's an AFC East game. Outside of that, this is still just one game. It's barely in October. And I will tell you the two teams that are facing off in week four are the two best examples from last season of how much can change from week four to when the playoffs started. The bills were without Von Miller in the playoffs. The bills were without Micah Hyde in the playoffs. The bills were without Daquan Jones in the playoffs. The bills barely had Jordan Poyer in the playoffs. The Miami dolphins were without Tua in the playoffs. They barely had Teron Armstead in the playoffs. So this is probably the best version of both teams. They will have all season long. And we're going to find out who the better team is in week four and what that will amount to 
is one game in the standings. It won't mean anything. It won't mean the narrative of if the Bills win, oh, the Dolphins aren't ready to catch them yet. I can promise all of you, if the Bills win next week, I don't care what the score is. I am not going to write off the Dolphins unless coming with that result is something that means Tua's season is over, which I promise all of you I'm not hoping for that. Um, outside of that, I will still be having an eye on the Dolphins. Conversely, if the Bills lose next week, if the Bills lose by double digits next week, I will be on the air telling you this was not their day, but there is another rematch coming week 18. I expect both these teams to be in the playoffs. Talk to me in January. What kind of form are these teams in when that game takes place? I think we have a week ahead of us of building this game up to be a huge game. And I understand that Miami's been chasing the Bills now for a couple years. They should have beat them a couple times last year. They got them once in Miami. And this, this is kind of like their Super Bowl. They're coming to Buffalo. They want to stick it to the Bills in their stadium. The Bills are certainly aware of what the national narrative is. Vegas certainly likes this game. I'm just telling you all that it's going to feel like a bigger game than it actually is, Luca. Man, you are such a wet blanket. I know. I know. This. I oh, am. my God. No, let's hype this thing up. No, I... It's a it's a reality check, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I don't mean it in the regard of what the Bills just gave the commanders. I, I mean it as look, it's it it truly is a one week at a time. And I think what you brought up about um it being kind of a situation where, as you mentioned, the Bills and the Dolphins, although I think the Bills are even a better example of this, is this is week four, and this is what comes in the playoffs time, and these are two completely separated things. There is a lot of time in between those two moments when it comes to in regards to the division, yes, this game could matter, but there's so much time in between those two events when you start really worrying about the division and now that you can do things and things can happen that help you even if this outcome of the week, of the week four matchup between us and the Dolphins doesn't go our ways when it comes to the Bills. Things can still occur, unfortunately for the Dolphins and fortunately for the Bills, that sway it throughout the season and vice versa. If the bills come out on top, it still could go all awry after this. You need to treat it. Yes. It's a big game. It's an important game, but it's not everything. It's not the quote unquote super bowl <clears throat> of the regular season. It's not the super bowl for the dolphins. It's not the super bowl for the bills. The dolphins might come into this thinking it's their super bowl. Let them absolutely let them think it. I feel like, um, one thing that I laugh out, uh, laugh at all the time when it comes to like Dave Portnoy and a lot of guys like that, um, these are Patriot fans, of course, that lived through all those eras and they always laugh. They're like, this is the Jag Super Bowl. This is the whatever Super Bowl. They're saying that because it's tongue in cheek. They live that life on the other side all the time being Patriots fans for decades. Kansas City would come to town on opening night as they celebrate their Super Bowl. That's Kansas City's Super Bowl and stuff like that, and they would make a big occasion of it. Well, guess what? When you make something so large like that, it was funny to them to then see the downfall that occurs afterwards because you built up something that truly wasn't the actual Super Bowl, as then this team, the New England Patriots, continues to dominate on their way to another real Super Bowl, the one that puts the ring on your finger. So it, it is going to be something like that in the national media, of course, Josh. It's going to be all things Dolphins, which... I want to also say this. They deserve a lot of accolades. Oh, yeah. Not a lot of teams put up 70 points, and they sure as hell don't put up points in a fashion like the Dolphins did 
Um, the, the, the Broncos should just have to concede next week's game for how embarrassing of an effort that was. But at the same time, dolphins deserve all the respect in the world for the performance you did. It's the national football league. And you just put up 70 points on another team. That is incredible. So it somehow also was a scoregami. And yet there was a game, by the way, Josh, that a winning team won 70 to 27. So it almost became not a scoregami if Denver could have found a garbage time touchdown, which is just put that one here. <laughs> that did happen at some point. There was also a 72 to nothing win. Fun fact that happened back in like 1948 or something. So that's another interesting. Uh, okay. Just fun. We're looking up scoregamis after that game happened, Josh. Um, But overall, it will be an exciting game. It's it's one of those games where now you look at it and you're like, damn, this really stinks that it's a one o'clock game like this should be one that the national stage should enjoy. But at the same time, like um, it will be fun. And I'm also happy it's at the one o'clock time um, because overall, hopefully the weather's good and you just do get the best effort out of both. We can enjoy it in the moment. Yes, hopefully the bills come out on top but it is just a week four game that we should be able to sit back and enjoy as football fans and just root for our team. And we will be able to enjoy the best out of both teams moving forward and kind of understand where the class of the AFC East is come week four and not for the rest of the season, because you still have to play the end of the regular season. This is Mm -hmm. a nice way, Josh, I will say, although it's not a true quarter of the season, but it's really kind of a fun game to have at the end of your quarter season. It's a fun litmus test to have after you had the disappointing week one in the bill's sake, and then you had a couple really good dominant wins. Now here's a true test. Once again, after having that disappointment in the spotlight that it's like, okay, did you overcome everything truly? Now you have a challenge in front of yourself and can you make the most of it? And there is such a tendency to think of NFL as like a transitive property or it's linear team X beat team Y and team Y beat team Z. So team Z is better than team X. And it just almost never works out that way because each game is its own individual entity. And I'll give you one example. Week one, the Jaguars go to Indianapolis and beat the Colts. And then week two, the Colts go to Houston and beat the Texans. And week three, the Texans go to Jacksonville and beat the Jaguars. And they've all now taken turns losing on their own home field. And why do I bring that up? It's because no matter who wins next week, I do think the Bills have a shot. Please don't think that I am that bills fan that's trying to set myself up to say it's not that big of a deal it is a big game the bills will be zero two in the afc east if they lose that's not where you want to be but no matter who wins that game it's going to be easy to say well the bills are better than the dolphins or the dolphins are better than the bills look at week four and it's just almost never matters by the time you get to the end of the regular season i like luca's point it's a good litmus test the fact that they get to see the dolphins twice before the playoffs is i think a good thing because you get two free looks at them, assuming that week 18 matchup matters and they have to decide whether they want to show you their hand or if they want to hold things back. And that is always fun when two division rivals are really, really good, which is what I think we have on our hands in the bills and dolphins. But Luca, we have all week to talk about bills and dolphins. We have only a few minutes left to talk about the bills and the commanders. Let's put a bow on this game with our favorite segment of the week, Game balls and game checks. And the way this works for those of you that are new here is game ball is our game MVP. It's pretty self-explanatory game check is basically the LVP least valuable player player that needs to give his game check back. Not literally. We do not have that authority. (laughs) 
Luca, which Bills player are you going to give your game ball to for the Bills' 37-3 to victory over the Washington Commanders? Um, there's obviously, <laughs> obviously a lot of candidates for yeah. this award. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what we do for our game checks uh, segment. But I, I think just quite simply, we we talked about a lot of individuals. I appreciate you handing me this one because then I think it's just going to make it a little bit more difficult on you. Yeah, um, because the obvious candidate is one that I will proudly eat my words for a week. I mm-hmm. will proudly say that, yes, I had my doubts and this individual stood up and had an incredible performance, a record or a historic like performance. Like I said, uh, shout out having a day similar to Brian Urlacher at some point in history. But Terrell Bernard, you absolutely deserve a game ball that should be surprised to absolutely no one. And um, a very, very I hope that this is kind of a massive, massive cornerstone and building block to what can hopefully develop into a beautiful middle linebacker career for him because it would be nice to fill that hole with a guy that we almost kind of wrote off after last year, Josh. So I am happy, happy, happy to eat my words a little bit here uh, with an asterisk and give my game ball to Terrell Bernard. That's a good pick. He would have been my pick. I don't want to be repetitive, so I will pick somebody else. And in the spirit of eating my words, I will choose somebody that I also was down on and not down on in the fact that I didn't think he could play. I thought he was just somebody that got an extension that I wasn't overly comfortable with this offseason. But Ed Oliver has been very good this season. Uh, He's been impactful in all three games. And today was no different. One and a half sacks had the big play to set up the stop on the goal line stand. He was dominant on the interior. There are several examples of that floating around Twitter where he was just walking the guard back on the play. Ed Oliver has played some really good football this season. And for his effort today, not only on the fourth down stand that Lucas said was the turning point to where he thought the game was over, but getting the quarterback to the ground one and a half times, I'm going to give Ed Oliver my game ball. It had to be somebody on defense with this effort. Um, So Ed Oliver is the one that gets it for me. I thought about Leonard Floyd, two more sacks for him. Um, I thought about AJ Epinesa. It was a beautiful play. Uh, but at the end of the day, his interception came when the game was just like a little bit out of reach. So I like to keep the context of when the splash plays happen in mind. But it was really cool to see a guy from my high school uh, score a touchdown in the in the NFL. First time that's happened, my mom actually sent me this stat a second ago. And I want to make sure I get it right just because Edwardsville High School, it's pretty cool. First time the a, a player from Edwardsville High School has scored a touchdown in an NFL game since Morris Bradshaw. Okay, they don't have a date on that. I don't know who Morris Bradshaw is. Whatever. It was pretty cool, um, and AJ Epinesa would have gotten there. But this one's going to be a little trickier. We have a game check to hand out. We don't hide from this. So, Luca, who is going to get your game check in this 37-3 to victory? Yeah, I mean, again, this is the tougher part of the two. <laughs> um, but And the funny part is I even wanted to do a bailout situation where uh, it's like, oh, Sam Martin, you didn't do a whole heck of a lot today. Well, he recorded one punt, so it wasn't a whole heck of a lot, but it was a 70-yard <laughs> punt. Okay, yeah. So it's like, I'm not even going to give it to him. I, I don't even remember what happened on this punt, Josh, but to see on the stat sheet that it was a 70-yard punt, however right. that occurred, very good job. You you literally couldn't do your job quite uh, uh, much better. So I actually kind of circled back, looked at things a little bit, thought about the game overall. And I will say, I don't think this is to the player's fault entirely. I'm just starting to get unhappy with how he's being utilized 
and what's going on with this player. And I just want to see things work differently for him. So my game check is going to be Deontay Hardy. It's just disappointing on what's going on with his utilization. And then even when he's getting these opportunities, I don't think he's doing a great job with them. And overall, it's just like, I want to see something change with him because I think he is a dynamic player and things can happen. So my game checks just going to Deontay Harry because it was not there today. That makes sense to me. I, I will say one more thing. I, I didn't mention him during game balls, but I also feel like maybe we're getting to the point where we take him for granted. Tyler Bass is just money. Like on a day where the wind is blowing, the ball is wet. He drilled a 54 yarder and that had room to spare. Every time he lines up for a field goal. Now I, I almost just take my eyes off the screen. Cause I assume it's going to go through uh, that play where Josh Allen threw a screen to Diggs was a little bit infuriating because they were already near the 30 anyway. And it was third and 12. And it's like, you have Tyler Bass. I don't need you to get to the 25 yard line. You're you're within field goal range here and you have Josh Allen. Let's go ahead and see if we can get 12 yards. So I don't want Tyler Bass to get lost in the shuffle. I like your um, Deontay Hardy point there because I feel like the bills are using Hardy almost like they still feel like he is Isaiah McKenzie and that they just have two different skill sets for me. Uh, one guy I wanted to mention was maybe Damian Harris. It sure. It feels to me like maybe he's falling behind Latavius Murray and the stats don't certainly bear that out. They actually had the same running totals five for 15, but you're seeing Latavius Murray out there in more passing situations. Uh, but that's not going to be my guy. Gabe Davis, I thought, had a little bit of a shaky day, had one of those clap catches that didn't get caught, um, had another play on the sideline he didn't complete. He did have the touchdown, which I think is going to save him, but I felt like he could have given a better inter better effort on that Josh Allen interception where um, Fuller picked it off. I feel like if, if you're the big guy there, you have to find a way to make sure that ball just doesn't get caught by the defender. Nobody on defense is going to get my game check, but I'm going to go with the guy I mentioned before, maybe a similar excuse to what Lucas says about Hardy. I'm going to go with Dalton Kincaid and it really isn't about him. It's just more about the usage right now. And, and maybe this should have been predicted with what the bills were going to do offensively today, but you know, two catches for three yards. I feel like in the spirit of game check, Dalton Kincaid could have not shown up to today's game and the result wouldn't have been much different. Although when you win by 30, 34 points, you could say that probably for almost anybody not named Josh Allen at this point. So uh, Dalton Kincaid gets it, but I'm not unhappy with him, but I sure would like to see him become a little bit more involved sneaky suspicion that might happen next week as i feel like the bills might have an all hands on deck approach when it comes to playing the miami dolphins and keeping up with them the dolphins are certainly a team in the league luca and speaking of the league let's that was one of my worst transitions ever that i don't was, know what that was I was pretty thinking. brutal that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of time in the car today and i was just like oh, they're in the league let's speaking of football um okay luca around the league and I will start this off. I will tell you, and I don't want to toot my own horn because I've already talked about like I was wrong on Terrell Bernard. I think I was maybe wrong on Ed Oliver, and I'm wrong a lot. I feel like I was I nailed the Jaguars pretty early in the offseason. I felt like they were a little bit of a paper tiger, getting a lot of credit for being in the final four in the AFC last year. When you look, you just have to look a little bit under the hood and see they were a nine and eight football team that needed a week 18 win at home against the Tennessee Titans. And <laughs> Josh Dobbs, who just will not go away. Um, and the Titans quarterback situation off the street, and they needed Josh Allen to return a touchdown on defense to win that game. Then they get to the playoffs and immediately fall 27 points down to the Chargers before coming back to win. And they lose to a one-legged Patrick Mahomes in the second round. 
I just I never bought into the Jaguars. They lost both their tackles this offseason. Uh, Cam Robinson will come back eventually after the suspension, but Juwan Taylor went to Kansas City. And I just felt like, yeah, they got a lot of credit for getting Calvin Ridley, but I don't see a lot of great players on this team. I see a lot of very good ones. And for this Jaguars team, that won week one at Indy, that's a good win. To follow it up with losing week two at Kansas City or at home against Kansas City when their defense holds Kansas City to less than 20 points, to lose a home game to the Houston Texans and CJ Stroud, who I love, but if you are a team competing for a Super Bowl, you should not be the first team that CJ Stroud beats in the NFL. And Luca, they didn't just lose. They lost. I have the score in front of me here. 37 to 17 at home to the Houston Texans. They stand out like a sore thumb to me on the AFC side, although there is another hilarious result on the NFC side that's near and dear to your heart. What do you think <laughs> about what's going on in Jacksonville right now? Um, a lot. A lot of questions. Uh, it was one of the funnier games to me. This I it's it's funny, Josh. So not to go crazy on this, but when it came to sp- sports betting and when I was like looking at what I wanted to bet on today and I'm evaluating some of these games, I felt like when I was looking at the Texans Jags game every time and every time I had it, like maybe in a four legger where I'm doing over unders or I'm doing, you know, spreads, alt spreads, whatever I'm feeling. Every time I added anything, even an anytime touchdown score, Josh, I was like, I don't want to hit send on this. I don't want to do anything that touches this game. There's just something about this game I don't like. And lo and behold, what was transpiring? I was like, boy, am I glad I didn't touch this game. Now, I wasn't trying to do anything too, too crazy. The only thing I wish I would have done was done the alt over I was going to do because that did end up hitting. It just didn't end up hitting in the way that anyone would have expected. And overall, yeah, if you are the Jags, you have to be scratching the head, your head right now. And, and on top of it, I'm pretty sure if you, if you're one of those teams that looks at the standings early and understands where you stand in your division right now, they are the bottom of their division. That is not a good place to be. The Colts, your Indianapolis Colts are leading the AFC South right now. And that is insane to me because they're also without, they were without uh, their starting quarterback, of course, Anthony Richardson today. And Gardner Minshew went and walked into Baltimore and just laid it out there. And they won one in overtime Uh, after Justin Tucker, for what it's worth, missed a field goal. Yes, it was a 59 yarder. But you don't expect to miss, see Justin Tucker miss that miss anything. well yeah. short. And it was just wild. So the Jags have a lot of question marks going on. I'm with you. I, I, I was kind of with you, but now I'm really with you where it's like when you peek under the hood with this Jags team, I'm feeling a lot better about that London game. I'll just put yeah. it that way. Because now they have to go point. over to London and yeah. play Atlanta this week. Atlanta is no tough out, although they had a pretty rough day in Detroit today. They, I think they just had a reality check that they don't have a quarterback. Let's let's just put it, you know, just put 10 in the box against Atlanta and it's not not a fun time for them. But um, the Jags are are not having a great time at this point in time. And this is not a great time for them to be going over the pond and have to play a couple games in the UK. Or maybe it is because you get away from your fan base that you just gave an 0 and 2 performance to in the past couple weeks. Yeah, that's going to be a long flight. And that's a great point because they do go over there and they're they're playing there for two weeks. Let's talk about another team 
that had some high expectations coming into this season and for a much different reason appears to be going the wrong direction. The New York Jets, 15 to 10 losers today to the New England Patriots, same as it ever was for the Jets. They just cannot get this Patriots monkey off of their back. They have yet to be able to, to beat the Patriots since Tom Brady left. And we all understand Aaron Rodgers leaves and that changes the equation. But holy cow, Luca, what a what a waste of a great roster this Jets team has. They put up a total, a total of 171 yards today at home against the New England Patriots. And look, I mean, we're Bills fans. I'm a Bills fan. You said the thing about my Colts. Let's just if anybody's wondering, I have family members that are Colts fans. Like, so I root from them for from afar. If the Colts lose, it doesn't ruin my Sunday. I'm just like, I'm sad for my sister. That's pretty much how it works. Um, but that's about it. But, I, you know, we have some Jets fans, friends, a couple of mutual ones that, and, you know, I think we feel their pain in a lot of ways. We're not, you know, obviously we're Bills fans, so there's a limit to how much pain we can feel. But for the offseason the Jets put together for as high as they were riding, for it to already feel over in week three, Luca, what an absolute gut punch. Um, yeah, this is, this is, this is a situation where, you know, it, it's crazy when you hear the stat all the time where it's like the last time the Jets beat the Patriots was 2015 where Ryan Fitzpatrick hit Eric Decker in the back corner of the end zone to win that game. And it's just like, you, you feel bad, but do you, it's one of those, it's like, you feel bad, but it's like, well, Welcome to just unfortunately being in unfortunate situations. Mm -hmm. There were funny things out there. I was trying to find something real quick to just flash to the camera real quick where uh, my father-in-law sent me a funny picture where uh, my wife texted her dad, you know, how are you feeling? Or essentially there was conversation going on where it was just a picture of a dude with forks clawing his eyes out. <laughs> I could, I, I, it just gave me a good laugh while watching football, just seeing that picture real quick. And it's like, yeah, if you're a Jets fan, man, you are in a tough, tough spot. There was a funny video that's out there, Josh, on social media where an, um, it's the caption is eventually that he's so mad at Zach Wilson. His teeth fall out as he's screaming at him. <laughs> it's doom and gloom times out there in uh, East Ruff Rutherford, New Jersey for those Jets and the Jets fans, because, um, yeah, the, the, the dominance of the Patriots. I loved I should have I should have done it. I just didn't like the Patriots that much. I will say in my own personal betting, I did put some decent weight into the Patriots minus two and a half line. And thank goodness for that safety because there were a couple of three evens on the books as well. I would have hated seeing some pushes on there, but uh, it, it didn't feel ever out of doubt. We'll call it. I, I felt very comfortable with Zach Wilson being at the helm of the Jets that the Patriots would be able to cover a field goal spread, even though it was in New Jersey for those Jets. So, yeah, just pain. We mentioned the waste of talent on defense. Let's talk about the waste of talent on offense. Five receptions for 48 yards for Garrett Wilson. And then Brees Hall, 12 rushes for 18 yards, which screams to me the defense basically had everybody in the boxes daring Zach Wilson to beat them. Robert Sala said after the game that Zach Wilson will be the starting quarterback. He's fine, was Robert Sala's quote. Um, it feels to me like they need to go in any other direction and just see what happens because this is not working out with Zach Wilson. The game of the day, Luca, in my opinion, took place in Minnesota. Both the Vikings and the Chargers were desperate, in my opinion. 0-2 coming into the game. And this one, it, I, 
I I think of the Spider-Man meme of the, the pointing at each other as both of these teams took turns not wanting to win the game late. And the Chargers gave the Vikings a gift with a fourth down conversion that set the Vikings up on their on 20 yards away, 25, 25. yards away from victory, only to see the Vikings go out and get Justin Jefferson hurt, get TJ Hawkinson hurt, and then see Kirk Cousins throw an interception on that drive. Uh, the Chargers get a much, much needed win after two very disappointing losses week one and two to the Titans and the Dolphins. And the Vikings, the team that had Lady Luck on their side last year, winning all these one-score games, the Bills certainly felt that in Orchard Park last year, are now 0-3, all one-score losses. What was your takeaway from that game? My takeaway was Brandon Staley should be fired as for the first the first yeah. NFL coach in a win to be fired following that win. That was my takeaway. Be consistent. I, I will get on a soapbox for this thing. Be consistent. You don't remove yourself one week from punting it on your opponent's 42-yard line on a fourth and two, only to then go for it with the game on the line with the opposition having no timeouts, which, yes, in that situation alone, it does sound advantageous. When you're on your own 25, let's not. Let's let's just see if they can drive the somewhat length of the field to then get that without timeouts. How about that one? Crazy right. idea, crazy uh -huh. concept. If you're not comfortable going for fourth and two on their 42, what makes you feel better about fourth and inches on your own 25? So crazy, crazy thing. Thankfully for all NFL fans, Justin Jefferson was only a cramp, it seemed like. I, I You mentioned the injury. Seemed like it was just cramp. He already got back out there after that. The epitome of this game in this whole microcosm of that ending sequence, Josh, was literally when they pick up that first down with 32 seconds left, I want to say it was, when the player's down, whistle goes, and they're setting up. And it almost seemed like the Vikings were half huddled, half not. No one had any idea what's going on. You have no timeouts. And they snapped that hurried ball where I think Kirk Cousins just told a couple routes like it's backyard football to his guys. And then he throws the pick in the end zone. And that, that all happened with 11 seconds left, nine seconds left, something like, I think at the end of the play, it was nine seconds. I think the snap occurred at 11 seconds, something like that. And it's like, holy crap. You should have gone up, had an idea if you're getting this first down to go up and either snap the ball and throw it out the back of the end zone, snap the ball and take a spike if you really want to, to make sure you set up three good plays or do something else other than that. And it was just, who wants to lose this game more? And the Vikings came out on top in that regard. The Chargers get their first win. I was a little bummed about it because I really wanted to see the Chargers go on three. And Brandon Staley, after that whole move, truly be left at the airport. I wanted to see that happen because I am almost certain that is exactly what would have happened after that whole crazy, crazy scenario. I, I genuinely thought when that was happening, Josh, I, I'll finish with this. When that was happening, I'm like, there is no chance he is snapping this ball. There is no way Brandon Staley is this off his rocker and he is going to do this. They have to be trying to draw him off or something. They have to be doing something like that. And when that ball snapped, I couldn't even watch. I actually closed my eyes. I, I couldn't believe what had just occurred. and It was unbelievable. Well, my thing is, if you're going to go for it, and I don't norm, I'm not normally want to be the person that's like ripping a team for going for it because in that situation, 
depending, like if the Bills are playing the Vikings in that situation, I'm I'm gonna be like, all right, just punt it away. Like we can stop them. If they're playing the Chiefs, go ahead and go for it. But here's the thing, Chargers. Just like the Bills, you have a 6'6", 240-pound quarterback, and the Philadelphia Eagles have been kind enough to give everybody in the league the blueprint on how to get a free one-yard play anytime you want one. And that seems like a perfect time to want one. And they didn't take it, so but they escaped somehow, some way, and it would have been amazing to get fired after winning a game. Yeah. Don't think that's going to happen, but Luca, the play of the day took place in a game that ended 41-10 to as the Chiefs beat the bears 41 to 10 in a game that the, the chiefs win 41 to 10 somehow blaine gabbert has two interceptions i will tell you i didn't see any of the game when blaine gabbert was in but i'm fascinated to know how when he comes in in mop-up duty for the winning team he goes three for five with two interceptions that sounds absolutely amazing the play of the game though the play of the day in the nfl was not a run not a pass not a tackle it was a pull a Travis Kelsey pull, Luca. Let's talk about what I'm referring to because you were adamant this had to be brought up on our show. Yeah. I mean, look, the story of the day is in the NFL. Unfortunately, for anyone that's a diehard football fan, it is not football. It is not gameplay. No. It is nothing that happened on the field. The confirmation of Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift being a thing was made in shocking ways to just all of a sudden have the broadcast just show Taylor Swift in the Kelsey box. And it's like, wait a second, is that really how they're doing this right now? You had Jason Kelsey, the brother on a radio and podcast come out and say, basically a confirmation, but not a hundred percent kind of a, yes, they're absolutely a thing. And then all of a sudden, boom, on Sunday, there's that, which also tells me, by the way, everything Jason Kelsey said was absolutely a, you can say something situation because they knew that that was probably happening on Sunday. And of course, no matter how you sneak her into the stadium, she will be on camera at some point. You don't hide someone whose net worth is $740 million and also has basically the world in her palm from the camera. That is going to happen. So um, it's it was wild. It was interesting. It led to a lot of conversation in my living room that I eventually had to be like, please, for the love of God, can we stop talking about Taylor Swift? I don't want to be sitting here on football Sunday talking about Taylor Swift. Fun fact, no one saw those two interceptions, Josh, unless you had red zone on and they somehow showed you that. And I can't even remember if they did because they cut this game. I'm pretty sure after the first drive in the third quarter, you could not watch this anywhere unless you were probably in Kansas City and or Chicago. I do not reside in that place. You do not reside in that place. Majority of us do not reside in that place. So it was funny how it was like, yeah, this game's pretty bad. 27 points were scored in that second quarter. Um, we, uh, the, I, I think the Travis Kelsey touchdown came in the third quarter. And of course we got to also experience Taylor Swift say, let's bleep and go in the camera. And everyone's excited about that. It's the story of the day. It will be the story of tomorrow. I am absolutely sure. I imagine your McAfee shows, your getups and everything will be leading off. Hey, football happened, but also, also. <laughs> this, because the reason it had to be brought up, it's the story of the day. And the reason that everyone will bring it up is I'm, I, I think this is the one fan base, Josh, that could truly threaten the NFL. And that is Taylor Swift fans and Swifties. And we have now somehow the NFL has figured out a way, not that it's the NFL's fault, but they figured out a way to merge these worlds together. Social media will be a wild time this year. Now, Josh absolutely did not have that on the bingo card. 
if you thought the Josh Allen, Haley Steinfeld Twitter wars <laughs> between those fan bases were intense, holy cow, it's about to get it. It's about to get amazing. You mentioned the only way you could see it was on red zone. The good news is we're recording this at 1127 and right now PM, the game ended probably six hours ago. So if you turn on red zone right now, it might be live on red zone with as much delay goes on on the red zone channel because holy cow, oh. Luca, I missed direct TV red zone. That was actually synced up with the games. This, oh. this new NFL red zone with Scott Hansen that has a new part of my world. I I'm ready to just shoot that thing to the moon. All right. Well, if Taylor Swift is not the top story around the league tomorrow, it will be because America's team, the team that gets all the coverage, lost in a hilarious fashion to a team that we've all thought is tanking, yet somehow they've had a lead in all three games and could very easily be 3-0, and but they get their first win today. A team near and dear to your heart, the Arizona Cardinals. How in the world did the Cowboys lose to the Cardinals, Luca? This game, Josh is the most upsetting win I've ever experienced in my heart of all time. We're playing the Cowboys, or I shouldn't even say we. The Cardinals are playing the Cowboys. Luca's second favorite team is the Cardinals. It's okay. <laughs> he loves the Bills, but Ooh, he doesn't hide it. Wallace that. just had a sick interception to seal that one, just as we're talking about this. He's sick a stealer. He's stealer. I mean, it, it, oh, my, yeah. I, oh I God. I, I got to go to bed. Brutal. Boo. Oh. Um, so going back to this. I'm watching this game and it's like, this should be a pounding. This should be an absolute blowout. And I'm, I'm here for it. I am all tank for Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. Because if anyone's not aware at this point, the Cardinals not only hold their own first round pick, but they hold the Texans first round pick, which we just talked about all of a sudden one today as well against the Jaguars. So I'm like, okay, the Cardinals need to lose to still maintain their place in the draft with what's going on and solidify things. And the Cowboys coming to town is a perfect thing because the stadium is full of 70 to 80% Cowboys fans. It's going to be a, you know, shit show. Sorry, kid show. I understand. Um, but overall it's like, this should be a pounding. And then something happened, Josh, the thing I spoke in preseason about how I'm not really sure about these Cowboys. I'm not fond of them. Nothing really impresses me about them too much other than the pass rush. Well, guess what, Josh? That's exactly what came to play. Dak in that offense is so uninspiring that it's like, how did this team blow out teams in the first two weeks? Oh, yeah, that's right. It wasn't this offense. It was the defense. And then the defense had an off day. Trayvon Diggs being gone could yeah. be a serious problem. Yeah, Stephon Gilmore be. is not really that great anymore. I'm not saying he's bad. I'm saying he's still very good. He's not great anymore. He was letting guys like rookies out there get him. He was getting beat in the red zone, which is probably supposed to be his specialty where he can man press you and stay on your hip. Always Marquise Brown showed him the business in the red zone. Marquise Brown should not be showing him the business in the red zone. James Connor. I, I can't talk about someone that's earned my respect more from out of absolutely nothing than James Connor. Yeah. This guy has nothing to work with, can do absolutely nothing. And I would accept it as it's a bad offensive line. It's a bad team. And he is absolutely running with purpose. He looks great. He, the Cardinals should be trying to trade him for something immediately if they want to keep losing because he will not let them lose. The defense is honestly incredible to me. There are nobodies. Um, Dennis Gardak didn't even have a shining day. I'm going to talk about Dennis Gardak, Josh, every week. I am talking about Gard Dennis Gardak now. 
He didn't even come up out to play a little bit, and they still were very, very good. That pick in the end zone to seal it essentially for the Cardinals was wild. And I really do believe this could be something for the Cowboys, Josh, that makes those first two weeks seem so far away because this performance by the Cowboys was awful. Mm-hmm. Like, like the Cardinals deserve credit for winning the game. But as you even mentioned, they had leads and big ones against the Giants last week. And they had a decent lead against Washington in week one. And then when the second half came around and when those other teams kind of adjusted and figured out what they wanted to do, they absolutely capitalized on it and showed that they are in a class above the Cardinals. The Cowboys not once could ever establish themselves on either side of the ball. And it was embarrassing. If you are a Cowboys fan, you should be flat out embarrassed by that performance. And that is pitiful. And I loved it. I hated that the Cardinals won, but boy, did I love seeing the Cowboys be an absolute embarrassment and welcome, welcome to the reality of, Hey, your offense actually is not good at all. And you probably let go of the key piece known as Kellen Moore because Dak Prescott, not good. He's too mistake prone. He's basically the bad version of Josh Allen. What we talked about Josh Allen looking like the last couple of weeks of getting over Dak Prescott has not gotten over that. And what they've been able to do in recent years went before Zeke Elliott kind of got on the other side of his career. They've been able to run their way to victory and then throw when needed. And Tony Pollard was okay today. Uh, but you mentioned the Trayvon Diggs injury. That's going to be so tough to overcome. You just can't find guys like that. And then it, it pushes Stefan Gilmore up to that number one cornerback slot, which he may not be ready to play at this point in time. All right, Luca, we're going to get out of here in a second. But Update the folks on the day that was Luca's locks around the league. Uh, you had a good finish in one game, but overall a, a day you probably wish you could have back. Um, yeah. A day I wish I could have back, Josh. Uh, yeah, look, the first two locks. All right. Mm-hmm. Not only did they not hit, they had some uh, in one. They had a historically awful day and the other just had a typical. They decided not to show up day. And those two teams in total scored 23 points. The teams they played against scored in total almost 100. So Mm. covering is probably not something that's going to happen for either of those games. And it was not fun. But Titans and Broncos for those that Titans Broncos. Yeah, sorry. Let me actually. Yes. Titans plus three and a half Broncos plus six and a half. I will never be touching the Broncos ever again. I have sworn them off. That defense is garbage. That offense is hot garbage, thanks to Russell Wilson. And I question Sean Payton in all reality. Titans, I I just think they had a bad day in Cleveland. Um, Things weren't going their way. I'm not ready to write off the Titans by any stretch of the imagination, especially being in a weak division. Um, They can still make some noise, so I might touch them in the future. What might become a horse, though, Josh, nice transition there, is a team that I dipped back into. And boy, were they letting me down early, but the Packers. And I didn't take them minus one and a half where we would have had problems this week. I made sure I stuck it with the money line. I bought that point and a half essentially and said, I trust this team to win the game. They were my absolute lock of the week. I put the two unit play on them. They went down 17, nothing and things were gleam. It started actually gleam wise. Just fun fact. I thought Aaron Jones would be healthy after practicing. I thought Christian Watson would be healthy and playing after practicing a little bit. Lo and behold, at 1130, we get the news that all players are inactive, including Jair Alexander on top of that and someone else that's noteworthy that I'm forgetting. I was not feeling great at that point. 
Then for them to go down 17-0, really not feeling good as the Broncos are getting pounded. But something happened. Derek Carr, unfortunately, goes down with a shoulder injury. Jameis Winston goes in, and it seemed like at that point in time, it sparked something with the Packers where Romeo Dobbs was starting to haul in some catches. Uh, Jaden Reed had a rough day, unfortunately, for him. But the Packers' offense as a whole was clicking a little bit, Josh. And then they went for They did the thing that teams need to always do, Josh. And if you score a touchdown when you're down two touchdowns, when you're down 14 points, what do you do in that situation, Josh, when it's under 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter? You do not kick that extra point. That's right. You go for two because the the point of the game is to win the game, right? Not get to overtime, not figure it out from there. It's to win. And if you go for two and fail, you can go for two again. If you get in the end zone, if you go for two and get it, you then can kick that extra point to go ahead. That works out for the Packers. It should show everyone in the flipping world how to do it. Right. And boy, did they reward me in spades. Thank you, Packers. Overall, I finished only negative 0.26 units because of you and props. Thank you so much for allowing me to and all of us that if you tailed me to still be in the net positive going into week four. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And the reason you go for two is because on average teams are about 50% successful on two point conversions. And since moving the extra point back uh, to the 15 yard line, it is not a hundred percent make anymore. So you figure you're going to make one out of every two you go for versus making say 90% of your extra points. It adds up over time that the two point conversion matters. You actually make more. You could, you should essentially go for two every time. But in that particular scenario, if you figure you're going to get one out of two, you go for it. If you miss the first one, okay, you, you miss the one you're going to miss. You'll get the second one in all likelihood. Or if you get the one you're going to get, then you're set up beautifully on the next one just to kick the extra point and win the game. So teams are finally starting to catch on to that. It's it's a smart play. It's a sharp play. All right, Luca, I'm glad you had that game save you in Luca's locks. Um, I do love that Green Bay quarterback. Boom, Jordan Love. I, I'm actually becoming a Jordan Love fan because I'm not the biggest Aaron Rodgers guy, despite how nice he is to McAfee. So I do want to see Jordan Love succeed. Um, I, But most importantly, though, I want to see the Bills succeed. They did so today. Any final thoughts, Luca, on this Bills Commanders Week 3, or is it all, all sights ahead to Miami at this point? All sights ahead to Miami, Josh. You You – you watch the tape on Monday or Tuesday, you figure out how things went so well for the bills. And then you focus everything on Miami. Yep. It's the next week. It's one and oh, be mature. Like you are showing us, you are Buffalo bills and understand that one and oh, and what it truly means. And also shout out Steelers, by the way, you allowed me to finish in the green on both sports books this week. Proud of you guys. Jalen Warren too. Proud of you too. But yes, with the bills, thank you so much. Thank you for handling business perfectly this week in D.C., well, kind of, in Washington. And then let's look forward to Miami. Let's have a fun time. And I cannot wait as long. I'm sure everyone else is in the same boat, Josh, you included. We cannot wait for that game. It should be an absolute beauty. The story to watch this week will be the the health of Jalen Waddell. He missed this week with concussion protocol. Um, With concussions, you never really know how close somebody is. They're either in or they're out. So we'll see if he's able to suit up next week for the Dolphins. For Luca and I, we'll be all over this game on our Bills Chat YouTube page. Um, We will have our midweek quick hits, which I do not think will include Stokes this week as he is on his honeymoon. But we'll recap the Wednesday Bills press conference to get our first injury update. 
Uh, the biggest injury to come out of today's game was Ryan Bates got hurt in garbage time. We'll see what happens there. Stefan Diggs went back into the game after injuring his wrist. Otherwise, the Bills are in great shape right now. So we'll see what McDermott has to say on Wednesday. We'll have that video going up. Uh, Luca, uh, is there a Sabres chat coming up on Thursday? Absolutely. There will be a Sabres, Sabres chat. We're, we're in the weekly grind here, Josh, because right. even though there was a Bills game this week and there was, of course, NFL games this week on Sunday, there was actually a Sabres preseason game today at 2 o'clock, believe it or not, also in D.C., funny enough. They won in a shootout. Shout out Sabres winning their first game. It's preseason. So, it, it, Josh, we I talk about how much I dislike preseason football. Boy, do I not care about preseason hockey. I It's fun to just get you back in the rhythm, but it really doesn't matter. Um, but they won in a shootout. Shout out them 4-3 over the Washington Capitals. Preseason hockey's back. We will have. It's also here's another fun part about preseason hockey, Josh. There's a game on Tuesday. There's a game on Wednesday and there's a game on Thursday. Fun, fun, fun. I guess they can you have do enough that bodies to go around. Right. You have enough bodies. You can do these three in a row situations. So, yes, there will be a Sabres chat out coming out on Thursday. I will be recording that Wednesday night after that other preseason game, just so I can give kind of an up to date on how things look. I imagine there will be probably some transactions at that point early on. Maybe we will see a couple guys sent back to juniors or designated back to Rochester, whatever the situation might be. But I will have an episode out and we will be back to our weekly schedule because Hockey is back. The home opener is very, very close, Josh. Exciting times in Sabres hockey land. And speaking of us being back, Luca and I will be back live on Friday. Bills chat live, breaking down this upcoming matchup with the Bills and the Dolphins. We can't thank you all enough for being lenient with us, not being live this past week due to extenuating circumstances. I was out of town. And we wanted to get something recorded with both of us together. We recorded on Wednesday. We were upfront about it. We appreciate everybody that reached out to us that told us, hey, we get it. Life happens. Thanks for getting an episode out there. We appreciate you guys. But our commitment to you is we are going to be live every Friday unless something like that happens. We will certainly be live this week. And uh, for Luca, I am Josh McCarty. We will see you next time on Bill's Chat.